Welcome to Pushing the Limits with your host, Lisa Tarmody, where it's all about health optimization, anti-aging, longevity, and being the very best you can be. Brought to you by lisatarmody.com. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome into Pushing the Limits. This week, I'm absolutely super stoked to have Liz Parrish join me on the podcast. This is a a woman who is a a lady after my own heart. She's a huge role model for me. Uh, What she's achieved is just absolutely amazing, and what she's her mission that she's on. Uh, She is the CEO and founder of a company called BioViva Sciences, and she's in the gene therapy space, and she's also in the regulatory space, she's in the clinical research space, and uh, she's working on some pretty next-level things that are partly available now that we're going to go into. She's targeting certain genes here in her company, and this is just an absolutely fascinating ride into the state of gene therapy, what it's going to be able to do for human health and, and longevity. And this is really all about lengthening lifespan and health span. And this is something that, you know, it should be the number one thing that we're all thinking about because we're all aging. We're all dying. If we can cure aging as a disease and recognize it as a disease, then we'll be able to specifically go after it as a disease rather than going after things like cancer or heart disease. These things are part of the puzzle, but usually these things happen all at similar time spaces in life. And in the later years, our risk for all of these things go up massively. So this technology is really cutting edge and it uses, um, they are using regenerative gene therapies in order to slow down and reverse biological aging. The firm has a patent on gene delivery processes such as uh, known as adeno-associated viruses or AAVs, uh, which uses a natural ability of a virus to deliver genetic material into, the, into cells and therefore can be used as a vehicle call to carry therapeutic genes into cells. They also have a patent pending on CMV, which is a gene delivery method that can be able to have bigger loads delivered. Um, and the, in the States, there are already, um, I believe it's 11 or 12 different genetic uh, therapies that have already been approved for use. And these were things like Duchenne's muscular dystrophy, um, hemophilia A and B. Um, there's some eye diseases, but they're hugely, hugely expensive. The average person will never be able to afford these um, hugely uh, costly half a million, one million, two million dollar, five million dollar therapies to have these gene therapies applied if they need it, which is, you know, tragic. Um, Liz is working on aging, which is going to be tackling a number of these things. So we're going to be talking today about a few of the genes specifically that they're already using gene therapies for. One is Clotho, one is Follistatin, reverse transcriptase and uh, the telomeres that shorten over time, um, and a couple of others that we're going to be getting into. So a really interesting deep dive into this fascinating world. Partly it's available now and partly it's available through medical tourism if you're willing to go to certain countries and work with doctors that are part of clinical research that uh, Liz is actually her company with BioViva is overseeing the data that is collected from these human um, uh, gene therapies, if you like, that are done overseas. Um, Really, really fascinating stuff. An amazing woman. And she got into the space because of a family situation, which I'll let her talk to you about and she understands, like I do, 
the desperate need to help loved ones live a better, longer, healthier life. And so I really hope you enjoy this episode with the lovely List Parish and won't be the last time you hear her on this podcast either. Um, before we head over to the show, make sure you check out what we do over at lisatarmody.com. If you want to get help with um, a health issue, then please reach out to me and my team, support at lisatarmody.com. Check out our anti-aging and longevity supplement range that we have as well over at the shop um, and make sure that you share this great content. And if you're on YouTube, please do like and share and subscribe and hit that notification bell as well. We really appreciate you. Right, over to the show now with the lovely Liz Parrish. Well, hi, everyone. I am super, super excited today. I can't tell you how long I've been studying for this and preparing for this and just super excited to meet this wonderful woman that I'm going to introduce you to, Liz Parrish. Welcome to the show, Liz. Thank you for having me. And the more I learn about you, I mean, I I think that if you're that excited, um, I'm twice as excited. I was so fascinated by your story. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. You're the one of the most amazing women on the planet. You have some of the biggest dreams I've ever seen and you're just going for it and you don't, you, you just single-mindedly going for it no matter what anybody does or says or or, or any any obstacles that come in your, in your path and for me that was just amazing to to see what you've done and of course so for those listening um Liz is the uh, CEO of BioViva and she is uh someone who's really bringing forward longevity medicine genetic uh therapies into the world and trying to get this available for all of us to target aging. Aging, yeah. And you and I are aging. You are a lot slower <laughs> than me. Um, I'm like, I've got to get what you've had. I've got to make this happen. So I wanted to share this with my audience. It's really cutting edge. What you're going to be hearing today, guys, is absolutely at the cutting edge. So buckle up for a bit of a ride. Liz, can you give us a bit of a background? Why did you end up where you are now? Well, uh, years ago, I was taking bi- biology in college, and and I dropped out because I got pregnant with my second child, and my first child was a bit low birth weight, and I didn't want to have the same complications. I intended to go back, but life got complicated, and some many years later, uh, that second child was diagnosed with type one diabetes. Uh, because I had loved biology, I'd always stayed close to it. And I worked on many projects. And the project that I was working on when he was diagnosed was a stem cell project. It was about patient advocacy and education of the general public of what stem cells were and what they were not and why they needed to get funding. And I had kind of fallen in love with genetics during that time. But my son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And while in Children's Hospital, I um, was searching for answers in the regenerative medicine space of how they could help him. And uh, I was shocked to find out that all of this great technology uh, that I had read about that had been around for over a decade uh, didn't translate to patients who needed it. And this was a big turning point in my life. So I went looking for cures for kids. I got on airplanes. I, you know, drove us long distances. I went to conferences and I ended up at a conference uh, that was about biological aging. And uh, biological aging, like type 1 diabetes, is a complex disorder. 
And in order to treat complex disorders with genetics, um, it was, it looked like it was actually a very viable project. We needed to find a combination of genes that would do such thing. And by doing that, uh, we could not only have curative medicine for children, but help an aging population live longer. Wow. And since working in therapeutics in children is so constrained, it's very difficult to get access to young people who need medicine. I figured an aging population was the fastest place to start and help everyone. Amazing. Yeah. So, so by going through, cause aging is not recognized as a disease and it should be. And this right. is part of the, the problem that so many scientists in this area in regenerative medicine are saying we need to recognize this as a, as a disease, aging, and that we can actually go after it as a target. And that's mm, hampering funding and regulatory things and all of that sort of stuff. And your end goal though is not only to stop aging. It's a big dream, <laughs> but also to help children with these sort of complex disorders. And you believe gene therapy is the answer to this. Can you, you know, you, you've started a company by Aviva. You've got some incredible uh, scientific advisors. One of them, Dr. Bill Andrews, who I saw on your website. And I'm like, oh, Bill, <laughs> you know, wow. Um, I had Bill on the show. It must be eight years ago now. And him and just as a side note, people, Bill and his wife Molly are both ultramarathon runners. And Molly um, and I raced in the Himalayas together, and and Northburn, and she's come over to New Zealand a couple of times. And fabulous, fabulous person. And uh, Bill, and you know, is another crazy ultramarathon runner. So I thought that was really. Um, and, and I'd interviewed Bill eight years ago about telomeres and where they were at at that point. And I was just so excited to see him, you know, still still doing it and in the space because I haven't caught up with my friends for for quite a while. So um, it was sort of fortuitous. But side note uh, on that thing, um, ultramarathoners must be crazy and we, we definitely um, <laughs> do stupid things. definitely people who like to live. You're, yeah. you're right in the experiment, you know, and the experience doing those long runs. Um, it's hard on your body, uh, but yeah. it's probably also good for your body and your people who like to be in the moment. I think you're very present. And yeah. I think that that's, that's what it takes to, um, to actually uh, mobilize people to change is, is to get them in the right now and, and test. Do you love the right now? Uh, chances are you'll also love the right now in 80 years if you're healthy. <laughs> exactly. And a lot of people in the longevity space are like, you know, um, I don't want to live and be in a wheelchair and be decrepit. And why would I want to increase my, my lifespan? But it's, it's, um, what do they call it? The, uh, um, dropping off a cliff at the very end when you die, rather than this long, slow decline that we see otherwise. Yeah. Compressed more mortality. And that's so, you know, yeah. that, that's what we're hoping with regenerative medicine is that we help people live healthier longer. We don't want you to be old and sick longer. I mean, that's what today's medicine has brought, and it mm. was an advancement. So, you know, if we look back to the 1600s, uh, we mostly died of infectious disease, 90% uh, of the population. Wow. Uh, dying of aging was a, a big outlier and not well understood. Uh, but today, 90% uh, of the population over uh, dies of biological aging. And we should differentiate the biological aging from chronological aging because a lot of people think that, oh, no, yeah. we all have aging, so therefore we're all sick. 
Um, well, we want to change that. But anyway, uh, because we took infectious disease very seriously in the 1800s and the early 1900s, now people vastly die of aging. And so it is science's na- next great uh, task to cure it. <laughs> it is. And listen, you actually put your money where your mouth is. You actually went and had gene therapies way back in, I think it was 2015, where you had the first ones. Um, and there are specific genes that we can already go after with these gene therapies. Can we go back and just explain what is a gene therapy? How do we deliver it into the body? And what are the, um, what are the risks involved and what are the advantages that it, that it has? Yeah, let's do a little bit of history. You know, it it was finally recognized in the 1970s that by modifying the genes uh, in an organism that we could probably drastically change disease outcome. And why we know uh, that gene therapy will work and, and how we know that eventually we will find a cure for aging through gene therapy is that it's working today. So in the United States, there are 11 uh, gene therapies that are mm. approved. Uh, for uh, what's considered monogenic disease. So people who are born with a single gene mutation, uh, things like diseases like sickle cell anemia, beta thalassemia, uh, hemophilia A and B, lipoprotein lipase deficiency. These are really big names, adrenaleukodystrophy. These are big names uh, given to diseases that were caused by a single gene. And these 11 approved gene therapies are curative medicine for these individuals. And now with these approved therapies and the proof of concept behind us, we know we can take on complex disorders. So when we started to look at genes that would affect childhood diseases that are more complex than a single gene mutation and things like biological aging, which we also know are complex, meaning they are not caused by a single gene, Uh, we started to look at the big powerhouse players, and those are the ones that you're alluding to. So uh, Bill Andrews, uh, who you spoke about, is our advisor on telomerase reverse transcriptase. Again, it's a big name, but uh, it's a little gene that transcribes something called telomerase that lengthens caps at the ends of your chromosomes. And this shortening of these caps limit your lifespan. And today we know that 24 organisms' uh, lifespans are limited by telomeres. And the other thousands of species just haven't been, uh, there hasn't been enough research to define it and say that actually it's causal to their lifespan. So in 24 species, enough research has been done to know that our lifespan is limited by our cellular division and cellular division is limited by the caps at the ends of our chromosomes. Uh, We also, so that gene therapy um, can extend lifespan in model organisms by about 40%. And so for you and I, if we were going to live to 80, that could bring us over the 110 mark, giving us more time to live long enough uh, to benefit from the new therapies that are emerging in the combination space. So there's also genes like Alpha clotho that's associated as a geroprotector, protects your kidneys, your cardiovascular, improves your cognition. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been proven all the way through non-human primates. And we showed a study uh, in humans, uh, five subjects, that it increased their cognitive scores as well. Um, there's the dementia study that you, you did recently or that was yeah, done was, recently? It was about two years ago that we released that. And it was with patients with dementia, five patients with dementia. 
Um, there's folistatin that increases your muscle mass and that's good for metabolic health. That's where your, you know, some of your metabolism lies is in how much muscle you have, which is important Huge. about these new drugs that are coming out that make you lack, um, uh, a response to hunger. Um, you end up losing a lot of muscle mass. So that can be counterintuitive, but still good to do if you're grossly obese mm -hmm. and then PGC one alpha and other genes. And, and actually those four genes I have taken myself. Wow. And and you like you don't mind me saying how old you are? You're fifty two, I believe. Is it right? I'm, I'll be fifty three this month. Yeah, and look at you. I mean, for crying <laughs> out loud, <laughs> who doesn't want to look like her? <laughs> hey, hey, I I I wish I looked better. Um, you know, <laughs> but when when I did amazing. the therapies, these therapies do go after aging. Um, you know, we want I want to try higher doses of the therapies mm -hmm. and more therapies because we know it's going to be a combination that will cure aging but thank you yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. look gorgeous absolutely stunning <laughs> but you, you yeah but this is but it's not about just the aesthetics here we we're really talking yeah. about on a cellular level and i really want to differentiate that because people right. still think of anti-aging as the skin creams and the you know not the ones who listen to my show but generally people when you talk about anti-aging that's the first thing they come as wrinkles and um, skin aging it's so much more as what's on the inside and these four that you've just mentioned the folostatin the clotho the pgc1 alpha uh what was the other one the uh, yeah telomerase obviously yeah build stuff these are really key factors for function you know so as well as how you're going to live your life i mean folostatin I mean, we can take things like EGCG, which will have a small, tiny effect on the folostatin, but nowhere near as what the gene therapies are. So we already know some of the, the mechanisms by, by which these things work. But really, when you add them all up, these are going to really be able to reverse aging. I mean, with you, when you had the therapies, you were patient number one on a number of these, I believe. Um, and were you scared to take them? Were you, or were you just excited to get this? And how did you actually experience that? And, and how did it affect you afterwards in, as far as changes and so, so on? So I think that, you know, when I look back at the writing uh, that I did around that time, which I'm not a prolific writer at all, but I decided to write some of my thoughts down during that time. I mean, it was, um, it was, it was, yeah, it, it was scary, but I mean, my son has a chronic dis condition that is an hour by hour. It's not even a day by day. Wow. And there was so much evidence that, that there was a blocking of good medicine to humans that okay. good medicine isn't making it into clinical trials. And knowing what we knew, somebody had to do it. And it it just made sense that I do it because I was the CEO of the company and why shouldn't I take the risk? So if there's a bad outcome, it happens to me instead of someone else. Wonderful. And um, I, I just, you know, I mean, we, we really did sit on a razor of we don't have to do this, but if we don't do it, then, you know, at that point, I think it was 8 billion people might not see a cure for, for the biggest killer on the planet. So we decided to go forward. And wow. I, I don't think I could have lived with myself. Obviously, I couldn't have lived with myself if I didn't do it because I did it. And um, and then we waited 
To and then you waited happened. to see what would happen. And <laughs> uh, such courage because it's pi- oh. it's the pioneers and the same in the ultramarathon and the adventure, adventure space. It's the person who climbed Mount Everest first, you know, <laughs> um, which happens to be a Kiwi and a Nepalese. Um, you know, they, <laughs> they are the ones that we stand on their shoulders when we come after them. And it takes brave people to take these brave steps and find ways around the obstacles in the, in the regulatory space. There are, we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, there are a lot of obstacles. And as you said, and I've experienced this in my life, um, after I lost my dad three years ago and I was not able to get him the things that I knew would give him a chance at survival, wouldn't guarantee his survival, but give him a chance at survival. He had a, a aortic aneurysm. And he uh, survived the operation but developed sepsis. And I was aware of all of the research around intravenous vitamin C and sepsis. And um, I came with the, 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 the clinical research. I presented it. I said, I want intravenous vitamin C. And I just came up against a brick wall. And I fought for 16 days to try to save my dad's life, to give him the opportunity to do this. And so, and I fought against the ethics committee. I had to get the permission of every single person in the whole of the ICU team, all the doctors, all the nurses. I had to find a legal loophole, which was that my GP could come in and administer it. And she was willing to go into the lion's den, so to speak, and, you know, um, deliver this. And it, but it took me 16 days to get the permissions and all this time my dad is of course dying and he was in multiple organ failure by the time I got through this legal red tape and the, the upshot of it was I mean we, we the, the very first intravenous vitamin C started to turn all his markers around his CRP dropped he got off the the the, the vasopressors etc his CRP was fabulous you know like it kidney function improved um Actually, one of the arguments they came at me with was that we can't do this because vitamin C could damage the kidneys. I said, he's dying. You know, like, what part of uh, dying do you not understand? Like, that sort of right. a logic, right? And basically covering their legal backsides. Um, so I've lived this. And my, my dad, I lost him a couple of days later because they stopped me doing the second and the protocol was every six hours. And so they stopped me doing the second. It took me 18 hours to get the third, et cetera, et cetera. And a couple of days later, my GP said to me, and she was the only one I trusted in this situation, that we're now beyond, um, you know, um, being able to save him. And, and I, we were forced to take him off life support. And I will never forget and I will never forgive. <laughs> and this is no, what I, makes me so passionate about this space. I um, I feel you 100%. I have a, a similar story. I mean, like I said, we just didn't meet each other. I, we're sisters. Otherwise... My my father uh, came to me several years ago um, asking if we had something that uh, he could use because he had Parkinson's disease. Wow. And by the time he decided uh, to try gene therapy, uh, he was stone face and uh, basically shuffling his feet. They, they really can't pick their feet up well anymore at all. And uh, we did gene therapy uh, in combination wow. with stem cells, and we got two more years. Wow. And and even uh, when my dad died, he could still smile. And, uh, I mean, it was no consolation because he died, and that's why I rarely talk about it. Mm. But the thing is, there were clinical trials going on, but because he was over 80, he didn't qualify. And, and this gets into regulation, why we need new regulations. 
people should not be turned away for being 80, especially when we know that a multitude, four times more people will live to be over 100 in the next couple decades. That means you still have a lot of viable life left. And my dad was a marathon runner. Wow. He walked miles. Um, he was an active person. And, you know, what happens is the the uh, basic care uh, that they do for Parkinson's uh, is up the dosage of dopamine. And eventually he got congestive heart failure. Mm. And so um, and then, you know, that's legal to give. Uh, so the healthcare providers provide it, uh, but they don't provide alternatives and these people need alternatives. So we did get two years of going on vacation, uh, with my father. We got to celebrate his birthday in Lake Tahoe. He walked on his own, Wonderful. uh, took all the dinner, uh, but he died. And yeah. it's because, you know, families can't afford to keep doing expensive gene therapies. We need a route in which people can get access. I mean, I mean, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that. And, um, you know, as someone else, I've been fighting with, you know, for my mum for the last eight years, rehabilitating her, and I'm, I constantly come up against brick walls, you know, when we first had the aneurysm and the stroke and she was like a baby in a, in a woman's body, unable to do anything. And I was told, you know, she would never, ever do anything again. Well, they were wrong. <laughs> they were damn wrong. And it wasn't even, you know, like I – went and did things that were um, as, as, as advanced as I could access at the time, you know, like gene therapies and things that we, we didn't have access to, but hyperbaric oxygen therapy we could do. And I could train her hours and hours every day and, you know, re rehabilitate her brain and vestibular system and teach her to everything. Um, so it took thousands of hours and we got it back to full, full health again, full driver's license, full power of attorney back. And then we were hit with a uh, CNS lymphoma and my listeners know that story. And, um, and so then I went into the metabolic approach to cancer because nothing was offered. She was over 80 and there was nothing that they could do, apparently. And I went after uh, advanced genetic testing found out her susceptibilities for her particular cancer, chased around the country to get those specific ones, went and got peptides, which you believe me, getting those into New Zealand isn't easy, did all sorts of things that, you know, I had to do to save her life. And it took us 12 weeks to get rid of the tumours that were visible on the MRI, and we've been free of those ever since. And you're, we have other... You are relentless. I mean, that... <laughs> And that's what you have to be. You have to say, you know, you have to look at the standard of care yeah. and you have to admit the emperor has no clothes. Yes. Look it has. At research. We are well, well beyond this. Like, you know, people freaked out this year, you know, AI hit the computer, these chat systems. Medicine is far in advance of software. We are far in advance of that. But none of it has been allowed into clinical trials because the cost to get there and the unpredictive animal models that we have to use um, in order to prove that something will work in a human. The best place for new medicine is in a human. We're not in the days of demystifying small molecules anymore. We're using genes that we vastly know how they work. Your cells are the drug factory. The gene goes in and your cells make the protein. And it's just... It's just such different medicine and even hyperbaric oxygen chambers that you used and, and other things that you were doing, you know, that had well-known uh, effect on mm. uh, healing uh, tissues in the body and things like that for a very long time. And it's just not standard of care because it's no, it's not on the checklist of what doctors uh, can legally do uh, to treat patients. And 
doctors are set up to write you a prescription and get you the hell out of there. They're not there for, uh, you know, functional uh, medicine mm. uh, that will help you at the core level uh, be better. You know, yeah, what, exactly. are you, what are you doing? What can we do with your lifestyle? And then let's look at your genes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's very reactionary. And, you know, that, that 20th century model of, you know, ambulance at the bottom of the cliff reactionary model is really outdated. And the, the fact that it's so pharmaceutically, you know, orientated with therapies like hyperbaric oxygen therapy or other, you know, many, many others, um, have super powerful, super proven clinical research even up the wazoo, and we still can't get it through and we still can't get it funded. And yet we know, you know, and you have cases like like my mum's where, you know, not a single medical practitioner has ever asked me, well, how did you do it? And why is she not dead? You know, yeah. nobody's interested. No, there, you know, there's... Uh... There's not uh, money in that because their system isn't set up for that. So yep. you know they need a they need a, a a checks and balances of what they can legally do. What's the expectation? What are the symptoms? And here are these these pills that we can legally give you to treat the symptoms. Yep. And that's uh, about it. I've spoken to a couple of graduating classes um, in medicine, and when I tell them uh, what we do and how we expect the future to change how we expect these gene therapies that i talked about that sound like whoa that's new medicine how we expect those to be used in young people long before you uh, get sick with biological aging symptoms they're just literally blown away and they're i had someone raise their hand to i thought they were asking a question they just said i just want to tell you that you've basically told me everything they didn't tell me in mm. in medical school and i'm completely confused now you know, we learned how to prescribe for symptoms. And you're saying that we could probably treat the root cause of what's causing all of these symptoms. And it yeah. is such a paradigm shift for those who have been through one system of learning and are very overregulated to the point of, you know, they cannot without jeopardizing their entire careers. And I get that. Um, step outside the box or they will have the, their head cut off. And this is stifling the introduction of new things, and we're like 30 years behind. And when you live in New Zealand, probably a little bit more, um, really, really behind the times and what is actually available. And if you you might think, well, we've got to be super careful, but there are millions and millions of people dying every year that don't need to die. And yeah, we could be giving them million. extra. Yeah, 41, 41 million. million. 41 million people not given the dignity uh, to try new medicine, not their doctors, not given the ability to prescribe new treatments and have medicine be between them and a patient, literally 41 million people. And uh, it's, it's, it's incredibly tragic. Each one of those is a book burning that you'll never get. Back. Exactly, and each one, one of these of is a person, someone's is someone's loved one, and this is the this is the point. These are not statistics; these are people with stories, and they could be helped now. And if you're in a situation like I was with my dad or your dad, and there are no other options, why are we not allowed the right to try? You know, why can we not? And I was not asking for the world. We're talking intravenous vitamin C here, basic. Basic, basic, basic. I, I wasn't even asking for a gene therapy and I still couldn't get it. You know, oh, I, I even had a dog who was dying of wobblers. Let's let's take this to pets. 
Um, and this is when their spine closes and they can no longer walk. And I work with a vet in Mexico. He treats all the, the zoos animals and, and he gets dogs walking again who have been hit by cars. Wow. Not guaranteed, but in many cases he can help with spinal injuries. He uh, basically did his research under a woman who did stem cells in humans. And so he worked with her to understand how to bring that to pets. And he had a simple treatment that might or might not work. Um, it was all of the products were legal products. It's the dog's own PRP, platelet-rich plasma. He had a protocol. He was offering it for free to any vet who would help us so that we wouldn't have to ship our dog away in the, the last months of his life. And we couldn't even find a vet that would do a legal treatment with legal uh, blood products in my dog. Oh, wow. I contacted veterinary hospitals. I contacted veterinaries in my area and they wouldn't even touch it. Yeah. And one even wrote back to me saying that this guy was clearly trying to take me for my money and take advantage of me because it must just be their, their response. It was free. It was they obviously friendly. didn't know you. <laughs> they obviously didn't even read the email. No, they didn't know they underestimated who you were as well. <laughs> and so that's how behind everything is. Yeah. Injecting some platelet-rich plasma. You know, it's just basic unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. So we have a, a bunch of people who have been trained uh incorrectly uh for the future of medicine. And uh without the approval of the government, they don't want to move forward because their student loans are more than they're making. And uh it's it's it, it's a bit of a catastrophe. So we have to switch mindsets. If we want to live and we want to live well and we want to see a future of, for humans, uh, we need to switch mindsets. Yeah. Just interrupting the show to let you know about our patron community here and the podcast at Pushing the Limits. We've been going for eight years and we really need your support to keep the show on air and free to everybody so that everyone gets this fantastic information uh, from all these great doctors, scientists, athletes, business people from all around the world. So we would love you to come and join us. You get a lot of exclusive member benefits when you do, but really it's about supporting the show and keeping it on air. And for a coffee or two a month, that would be fantastic if you can come and join us. You can go to patron.lisatamati.com. That's patron.lisatamati.com and check it all out. In ageing, like all of us are going to be patients. I heard you say in one of your lectures, you know, that you are tomorrow's patient if you're not today. You are, yeah. we are all dying of liver disease, heart disease, Alzheimer's, kidney disease, whatever your shortest fuse is, is the way that you expressed it. And I thought, wow, that's brilliant because we are all dying. We all know we're dying, but we don't think about it. We try to push it away. Yeah. What is your shortest fuse is what's going to get you, you know? Um, and when you think about it in that terms, like, you know, like I've smashed the crap out of my kidneys because I've run too many ultra marathons, you know, so my kidney function is not as worse than my mother's, you know? Um, and so I know that's probably one of my short fuses that I'm going to have to attend to somehow. Um, and we all have these things going on. Can, can you explain that a little bit so that people get that concept of we can actually take this and do something now? We don't have to just age like our parents and grandparents have. We've got the chance, like you and me in our 50s. Yeah. You know, like, hurry up, let's get these regulations changed. <laughs> 
So for, for all intensive purposes, the, the best way to explain it is at the cellular level, there are what we call hallmarks of aging. And today there's 12 agreed upon hallmarks of aging scientifically. That means they've been peer reviewed. And we know that these are the processes that are happening at the cellular level that lead to our cells basically collecting damage. What is aging but cellular degeneration over time? And what happens is because the mechanisms at the cellular level uh, become more dysfunctional, um, our cells are not able to repair the damage. They're not able to divide enough to uh, save us. And we get things like uh, immune senescence, which mm -hmm. is a reason that a lot of people died of COVID. Uh, we get things like genomic instability, which is why people die of cancer. Uh, we get things like nutrient sensing issues and other issues that lead to cardiovascular diseases. And so even though this list is going to grow over time, uh, it gives us targets for gene therapy. And so the genes that I introduced uh, the conversation to, and we can talk about reprogramming genes that basically mm -hmm. look uh, epigenetic changes or or a variety of them. There, there We have a, a big uh, pile of genes now that are associated with aging, but we look at genes that will target these hallmarks of aging. And so, you know, how many three-year-olds uh, get dementia hmm. or 20-year-olds? No. Well, they, well, they don't. And it's because their cells are youthful and they're still repairing damage. So when we look at the trajectory of disease, we see that about the age of 45, it's younger than most people think, uh, the death curve really starts growing. So you mm -hmm. can think of it as a drop off or you think of it going up. Let's think of it as a drop off. So around 45, it starts dropping and then 50% of the population is dead in uh, around you know 80. And then it continues to drop quite uh, steeply. And then very, very, very few people live to this 110 sort of what we considered uh, ultimate lifespan. And um, so what's happening in there, uh, biological aging is pushing all these processes. So your shortest fuse, uh, the disease that you're diagnosed with uh, that kills you, um, is different from person to person, but all of the same diseases and risks are growing at the same time. So let me put this into perspective. When we look at things like dementia hits around 65 in the population, uh, kidney failure around 75 uh, for most people, cancer starts falling around you know, the mid 40s and then uh, exponentially kills more people. Um, if you took any one of these diseases and you cured it on its own. So that's been sort of our, so, you know, when we think about it, everybody's into longevity because we've all supported the American Heart Association, the, you know, the, the dementia associations, uh, the cancer associations, you know, we all support a cure for each one of these diseases. Historically, what we've done in medicine is we've said, you've got cancer. Now we're going to go after a tumor and try to ablate it and, and, and save you, or we're going to go after a blood cancer, or, or you have uh, dementia, so we're going to go after cognitive enhancement and try to reduce beta amyloid plaques. And of course, that's why the the, the um, industry mm. didn't move for a long time, because yeah, that millions. actually help people. Um, so they go after treating a symptom. Well, let's just say, let's let's put in our mind that we went after cancer and we cured it. Let's say we cured all of cancer. You only live two years longer. Exactly. The whole, the whole on average, the population lives the next on two average, years. Two to four years, because 
these diseases run in parallel. And that's why people over 65 usually have multiple morbidity diseases. They they basically have a form of heart failure. They, their kidneys are failing. They have some uh, level of dementia on a scale. They've lost some cognitive ability and that they're in increased risk of cancer. (laughs) So when we look at treating aging at the cellular level, we actually look at eradicating all of those diseases at the same time. It just, just, Amazing. I mean, the, the thought of that, in, in, rather than going after the Band-Aid or the one specific disease and to actually get to the root cause, and not to say that that's simple, because like you said, there's multiple genes involved. It's not one single one. But it is like, you know, again, giving you just a quick example with mum, we had what looked like a TIA, a small stroke, uh, about three or four months ago. And so we were putting in, um, well, I put in some natokinase to uh, get rid of the clots, right? And um, in conjunction with her doctors. And um, a couple of weeks later, she had a GI bleed because there was another area letting go. Now the fact that we'd put in the natokinase was problematic, right? Because, you know, this other pipe was letting go down here. The clots were causing a problem up here. And so you start to have... plug holes and running out of fingers. Yeah, and one is contra to the other one, you know, the clotting versus the bleeding risk in this case. And that's the sort of very complex situation that you're dealing with when someone has these multi-comorbidities that are are going on. And, And, you know, one of the things that I've you know, heard over and over again from people meaning well, like, why don't you just let it go? Why why, why are you fighting so hard? And I'm going, well, because you're a you damn long for? time dead, <laughs> you know, and because. What would you fight for yeah, if it wasn't for the people you love? What would you fight for? Your bike? Yeah, exactly. Your car? I mean, literally, what would you fight for if you wouldn't fight for another person? Yeah. And she has a quality of life. I mean, we just got, got her through an E. coli infection, which was horrific. And when I was in the trenches in the last six weeks fighting to keep her alive and keep her out of the hospital and do all the things that I needed to do to keep her going, and people were like, well, maybe it's just time. And I, well, now we're six weeks later, she's improving again, and I've stuck more things into her protocol. I'm actually really excited, uh, Dr. Dayan Goodenow's work. I don't know if you've come across him, but with plasmalogens and the, the work that we're doing. So I'm trying that. And she's actually better now than she was two months ago. I saw a group doing that in the U.S. They actually had an open study and they were um, using uh, plasma. Uh, This was from young people, but it's a special part of the plasma. Mm -hmm. And they claim that they're getting uh, really uh, beneficial outcomes. With gene therapy, of course, our hope is to make your cells behave youthfully. So therefore, um, you are creating... Uh, a more youthful plasma. But, you know, in the meantime, whilst we're waiting for this very expensive research to be done, I definitely think that's a great thing to get involved. Yeah, now this was actually plasmalogens. Plasmalogens are, um, I won't go into because we'll we'll sidetrack ourselves, but I'll tell you about them after. But this is also, you know, but again, you've gone a step higher, if you like, in the hierarchy of where the problems are coming from, these wonderful other things that we can do, meanwhile, because we have access to them now, great. And I do think it's going to be a multi-pronged approach. We're going to need a bit of steam cell theory. We're going to 
therapy. We're going to need exercise. We're going to need diet and lifestyle. We're going to need the right uh, supplements. We're going to need various aspects while you're solving this problem. You know, you and your company and many of these wonderful scientists that are working in this field solve the actual bigger things all of these other downstream things we need to be doing now to maintain. And that's what I talk to my, you know, clients about is like, hold your shit together now because the stuff that's coming <laughs> is going to be next level. And if you can keep your body in some relatively good shape now, you're going to be able to benefit from that in five to 10 years. So that's a real good goal for people to go after. Yeah. And I, and I think that it will become uh, more, more affordable, but what you're going to see is, a lot of these therapies moving towards offshore access uh, hmm. rather than um, a lot of them in clinical trials, just because a lot of the funders of these type of technologies have funded drugs that have gone through clinical trials and it can take 20 some years and you can only get it through for a specific indication. When we're looking at treating biological aging, um, a lot of people uh think that the the system is is quite broken for looking at something with uh, multiple comorbidities. Exactly. And so um, that brings us to the point of medical tourism and having to go offshore. And your company works with um, integrated, I think it's integrated medical systems um, or health systems. Uh, integrated Integrative health systems. And and that allows people to get access to some of these uh, gene therapies with their full consent and they're cooperating in the studies that you can then take that data and use that for your regulatory fight, if you like. Is that how it works? Yeah, yeah that's how it works. So uh, our company can't treat patients directly, um, but doctors can. And there are doctors who are willing to uh, treat patients under consent, and that happens vastly in the medical tourism space, which is tour, uh, you know, traveling for medicine, uh, which has been popular for decades. And uh, it gives people the access to these therapies also at a fraction of the cost of what they might cost if they went through regulations. Now, we're hoping that what we can do with that data is make good drugs get them through regulations and have affordable therapies. But right now that hasn't been proven out by the gene therapy space. Mm. And so uh, some... because they have small markets and aging is a huge market and could be affordable for everyone. This is the key point. So you've got, I think uh, you said nine or 11 gene therapies that are currently um, approved and that are like muscular dystrophy or Duchenne's, I believe, and hemophilia, A and B and sickle cell anemia, I think is coming soon. And there's a few others, a handful of other really rather rare-ish um, genetic disorders that, that are already approved. But these are run by pharmaceutical companies and the gene therapies are Four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars. So, oh, they're more. They're or more. Um, the cheapest gene therapy that's gotten through regulation is four hundred and twenty-five thousand to treat oh. one eye. Eight hundred and fifty wow. want to treat both your eyes, or you go blind. Um, the other gene therapies that you spoke of all start over a million, and they go up to five million. So, if your child was born today with spinal muscular atrophy, they'd have about six months uh, to get a therapy or die, and it costs between two and five million dollars. And I don't know what the variation in that cost is, but that that therapy could be given for a fraction of the cost. And so, we're we're here. Um, with our mindfulness, uh, with our eye on this industry, uh, 
and we have been pointing out what's wrong with it and yeah. how it doesn't need to be and why it's failing. And, um, and sometimes I wonder if it's failing purposefully uh, to prove to the world that these drugs are too expensive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They are expensive to make, but they're a fraction of that cost, you know, 300,000, maybe not a million. Yeah. And in some of the therapies that you've actually tested on yourself and done on yourself, um, they're even a little bit less than, than those sorts of prices, aren't they? So that people can. Um, yeah, that's because they're, they're not uh, an approved drug. Uh, they don't have to be, they, for me, they weren't built at a, a standard uh, that the US FDA requires, which triples the cost of the therapy. And so um, wow. <laughs> of origin therapies I've taken, I've probably taken I don't know, I'd say about $700,000 worth of gene therapies, but that's four different gene therapies and two of them I took twice at pretty significant doses. So um, the comparison of one gene therapy for two to five million and uh, four gene therapies for 700,000. And then you have to realize that's by scale. If a hundred people took the therapies that I took, they would be 50% less. If a thousand people took them, they would be uh, significantly less, probably 60% less. So, and when we're talking about aging, we're talking about everyone. We're talking about potentially therapies that treat biological aging that come in less than $10,000 and you only have to take the therapy once every, you know, five to 10 years and governments would be paying for that. You know, I mean, certainly if we have a cure for aging, you won't bear the burden of the cost. Wow. And so this is where the the democratization of these therapies is one of your goals so that you're not just catering to the super wealthy who can afford these things, which is where it's at currently, even with these specific FDA approved ones for. And if you've got a child with Duchenne's and you can't get the one to five million dollars raised to 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 make that happen, isn't that tragic? You know, like, isn't that just such a... You, your yeah. your life is, is basically a disaster. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it should not come down to, but the reality is we live in this space and you've got to start with democratization process. And that means getting it accepted, getting the word out there, doing these types of podcasts and getting the word out so that you, the listener, can start to demand some of these things and make change Absolutely. happen. And I work in on regulations. Uh, so we have long spare we- time any country in the world and help them get a pre-regulatory regulatory regulatory, uh, zone going. So what that means is uh, patient-centric, patient-minded access. And um, this helps companies come in, universities come in, even pharma come in with their gene therapies, gene and cell therapies, tissue engineering, and start helping patients right now. Uh And, um, you know, your government could sign off on that and have that through uh, by the end of the year. And these are the the type of regulatory paths we're looking for because it really isn't just the fault of the U.S. FDA. Clearly, it's not set up to do this correctly. But if we were bringing them human data from moral, ethical, and legal-run studies, then they would have a much smoother process. Today, we're asked to, you know, $7 to $12 million of animal data uh, and we put that over their desk and say, you know, approve this for a, a human phase one study. They have to assess, well, will this even work in a human? And then they become very risk averse because they can lose their jobs over it. 
But with these pre-regulatory routes, we could bring them human data that could speed up the entire process, ensuring that everyone gets access to these technologies that have a certain number of years uh, left in their lives. And I would, you know, again, you will all be patient. So please um, sign these petitions. We have one called um, it's bestchoicemedicine.com or bestchoicemedicine.org. And and you can uh, go to that and you can sign the petition from anywhere in the world. And it gives us more ability to start the conversation with governments. If you know government officials, get us in front of them. Uh, we can we can bring the law. We can show them how it would work. We can help them build the committees that oversee. Um, wow. This is, it's critical. It's critical that you get access to a technology as soon as you need it. And the truth is with most of these gene therapies, you'd be better off getting them before you need them. So that's how much time is of the essence. Totally. And, you know, like if I, if I, if I was able to, I would give mum all of these therapies right now. You know, this is this because when you're when you're at that point where you, nothing, you know, you, you're pushing the proverbial uphill. You why not throw things at it? You know, and so there should be a route for us to do that. Um, you know, and 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 I can't travel with her, and I can't I can't afford millions of dollars. Um, but if there was an option and I was able to do that in my own country, then that would be absolutely amazing. So let's talk offline about how I and if, can help And if that you can legally do that, you'll have nonprofits that will come forward and help patients get access because, you know, they're, they're big stakeholders in the process as well. Wow. So you know, having payers and even the government as a payer to find out if therapies work, um, that that can help people who can't afford them get access to them. And um, I can't tell you how important that is for everyone. For everyone listening, you're all aging. Everyone. You are all a part of this. This is this is your future. So yeah, you know, and we we should not leave our children with these diseases. Mm. You know, the big game changer in medicine, and and there's a whole bunch of people who don't want to hear this uh, because of COVID, but our immunizations and antibiotics. It was it's the reason why we die of aging. It was the biggest advancement that happened until the advancements in gene therapy. And so we're ready to take that next big step up of, you know, you no longer die of of the things like, you know, the the black plague and things like that that we died of before because, you know, we we started to learn viral 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 I can't even say it. <laughs> virology. <laughs> virology. I couldn't even say it. Um it just was like not going to come out. And we learned <laughs> theory and uh antibiotics. I mean, I mean, most of us are alive because of some bout of antibiotics, whether or not that we want to believe that or not. And so um, these big game changers, you know, came in and now it's time to change the game again and uh, not just treat the symptoms of disease, not just go to palliative care and throw our hands up and say it's too expensive to make a drug, but actually find innovative ways to make drugs and get them to people. Absolutely. I mean, innovations in science are here for people to translate to patients. Um, if you looked at the way businesses run today, you would think that that wasn't the case, that it's about profits, that it's about who you know, um, that it's about the minority, very, very few people who have a lot of money to fund every innovation because, you know, I mean, we can't even get to space without private industry now. Mm. We have our hands out to the same people 
over and over again and we wonder why these why these innovations don't come to the public you have to demand access demand that uh the governments get in there make the right laws and do the right funding for the right reasons yeah absolutely absolutely and this is the next frontier of things that could absolutely revolutionize and then you know you've got this whole um i get this argument all the time well then we'll have too many people on the planet you know, and it's like, well, are you willing to bugger off? Um, or how about we just yeah. solve some of the bigger problems that uh, that do come along with population growth, which we are able to solve if we put our minds to it, rather than let's knock off half of the population or let's not have, you know, those those approaches. And they're never those people that are willing to go off themselves. That, that right, yeah, that. it's like, so do you, if, you know, you will eventually <laughs> get dementia if you live long enough. So do you want to die of dementia? Oh, no, you don't want to die of dementia, but you think that it's okay that a bunch of people do now. And there's a lot of uh, generational uh, debates of, you know, the boomers and the gen these and the gen those. And, <laughs> you know, it. There's a lot of divide and divisiveness that has been sort of drawn up as an example of of how we can't all live peacefully together. But if there's a cure for aging and complex disorder, um, then anything less than that is murder. And so who are you in in this situation? Do you vote for slavery or against slavery? Because this this is this defining moment. So if there is a cure, would you choose not to cure people? Um, that, that's, that's, that's pretty bad. And, and, and probably, you know, um, those people need to walk out because, you know, they're not good players in the world. Yeah. Um, but population is, is actually a thing that is already being dealt with in almost every industrialized country in the world. The, um, birth rate actually is down. So the replacement rate is down. If you go to Hong Kong, one of the longest lived populations, there are almost no children there. Wow. Uh, Japan, they have so few children, they don't have caretakers. Now, I love children. Wow. I'm a mom and I love children. This isn't against that. It's just that when you give people um, longer lifespans, they don't choose for the same things. Clearly, uh, we see that in in the, uh, the numbers. And so there's a plateau that we're coming to where the whole world's population will essentially stall out and there'll be a, a specific number of people. But we will be burdened uh, by the aging and the sick. And so financially, we can't afford it. Um, certainly, uh, children who are born today don't want to spend their entire adult life taking care of old, sick people. Um, so there's there's a lot of ethics reasons around it. But number one, don't be a murderer. Uh, don't don't, you know, just, you know, not think things out and say, well, I guess people yep. need to die because we have too many people on the planet. That's been debunked over and over. And uh, what we can do, in fact, is as we have uh, technologies work in parallel. And so other technologies are solving the bigger problems that are happening with that. And I always say the great thing about knowing about global climate change is that we know we measured it because we cared. And we're going to do something about it because we care. It's not an overnight uh, solution, but people are working on solutions to these problems. And if we weren't, um, you know, if we were just kind of looking out and saying, "Ooh, it looks different this year. And if we didn't have all this marked science that bookmarks exactly when these changes are happening, what they might be associated to, then I would be worried. So, um, you know, the, 
the survival of our species should be important and the survival of everything that we can save at this point should be important. And I think that, you know, we will drive that most significantly through genetics. Yeah. And we will have, um, you know, w- you know, new technologies that are going to take care of some of the problems. But this is, this is another argument too, is that, you know, I'm 55. I've taken a lot of time to get to this level of abilities, intelligence and education and skill set development, if you like, all of us have. And what am I starting to meet to start declining now? And then I'm yeah. all of that is lost. If I die tomorrow, you know, all of that. And then we have to start at scratch, going through the school system, going to development, you know, as we, as we, as we all do. But then wouldn't it be better if I worked for another 40, 50 years with my, in, in your intelligence and skills and things and actually contributed to society? What we, that's proven. That's, yeah. that's called. I mean, if you look back at history, that's called the Industrial Revolution. (laughs) And what happened is people in different places of the world lived long enough to become skilled labor, labor and lived long enough to actually do that labor to make big changes in the world. Uh, it was a dirty time with dirty energy and we're recovering from that. But that that's a that's a product of lifespan. And as we see uh, different countries in the world are being lifted up, uh, you'll see, you know, workers and teleworkers coming from certain areas because they live long enough now to Mm. learn a skill and to do it for some number of decades. And so that's where it becomes very valuable to society because they get better and better at doing it. So with a new lifespan extension, we we would hope to see uh, what we expect, which is another revolution in technology, and it will be all designed towards survival, which means cleaner air, cleaner water, a better environment. You know, we have trillions of cells in our body. The one cell that we all depend upon is the earth and its atmosphere. You can think of it very much like a cell. Hmm. And... Um, it will give us time to solve those problems and have people who have trained long enough to see patterns and break them. Yeah, yeah, and to learn from our history. And I think, you know, I just think this whole, if, we, if we're just able to live longer and healthier before we do eventually drop off a cliff and die, but if that, if that time is compressed and we don't, like I've lived eight years, or I have my mum, who I love dearly and now, but now she's 24 seven care. And that means that I'm, you know, running a number of companies and trying to look after her and blowing myself to pieces um, in order to give her the quality of life. If, if, if she hadn't had those things at the beginning and was able still to work and contribute and, and, and do all of those things, then she'd be still contributing to society now, you know, um, uh, and, and, and there's like the two sides. There's there's, um, you know, the thing that we think of is a natural duration. And then there's like kind of fate. And the thing is that people from our time uh, will have a certain tenacity because we faced these problems. And I hope that your mother survives and lives another 300 another, years. Exactly. Um, yeah. But the things that you have gone through have grown you as a person, uh, made you learn, forced you into uncomfortable spaces, um, as happened to me as well. And this actually molded us by fire. And that's, we will always carry that um, and be able to get more done because we have, we understand um, time. 
and people from our generations will understand time. Hopefully we'll be able to talk to young people in the future about what it was like knowing that you were slowly dying. Yeah, and that it will be hopefully a thing of the past. Just interrupting the show to let you know about my longevity and anti-aging supplement range. I'd love you to go and check it out. Go to my website, lisatarmity.com and hit the shop button and you'll see a curated range of supplements, the latest in anti-aging, longevity, health optimization, performance optimization. I've gone out into the world, interviewed the most amazing doctors and scientists, as you'll know if you follow the show, and gone and got some of the best products that are out there. Stuff that I give to my family, that what's in my range. So go and check it out at lisatarmity.com. Now let's go back a little weeny bit and go and actually talk about a couple of these genes and what they actually do and how is this delivered. So let's get a little bit scientific if you've got a few more minutes for me. <laughs> I'm going over time already, but um, like PG, oh, no, let's start with Clotho. Okay. I heard on one of your interviews you're saying, when you got Clotho, your when you did IQ tests, your IQ increased by one standard deviation, I think Sarabhan said or something. And I was like, "Wow!" <laughs> and um, and this is one that's going to ha- that's helping with dementia. Tell us a little bit about Clotho, what it does, and then also, if you don't mind, just explaining the viral vector. What is it? How does it get into the cell? What does it do? You're genetically modified in that sense. Um, yep. How does that work? Yeah, so uh, let's talk about how gene therapy is delivered, and then that will help us basically understand a gene product better. Uh, so when we go to deliver genes, there are several ways to do it. Companies are coming up with new ways all the time, but the best and standard way is using viral vectors. Uh, these are vectors that basically uh, dock onto your cell. They inject their DNA into your nucleus, and then that nu- that DNA transcribes for their functional machinery and helps them proliferate and then spread to someone else. Well, with gene therapy, we like to use viral vectors because they can get genetic information to the nucleus of the cell for long-term and persistent expression. So when you uh, hear about CRISPR technology or somatic cell delivery or anything on that level, they all use viral vectors. Um, A lot of people don't know that. They think CRISPR is like this thing on its own. But you have to get the machinery into the nucleus of the cell because the nucleus of the cell is where your, your chromosomes sit and that's where your genes sit. So we basically take out a virus's ability to get you sick. We take all of its machinery out. We basically um, then put therapeutic genes into its capsid and we leave the docking mechanism, the mechanism that docks up with the cell and sends the genetic material to the nucleus. So you are not getting sick. Um, We are not giving you the virus that the, um, that, originally was there before it was attenuated. That's what it's called. We take out its ability to replicate. And what you're getting is uh, therapeutic gene delivery. And this is nature's uh, best way of delivering genes. It's been happening for millions and millions of years on the planet. Um, It's suspected it's why uh, we evolved conscious thinking for humans and a myriad of other super benefits that happened to us when we we were infected by viruses that gave us genes that that helped us evolve. I know that's a challenging 
conversation for some people, but it's actually scientifically shown. And uh, aliens is a cooler thing. Maybe, maybe aliens <laughs> came and we got them from there. I would love to believe there were aliens and we're going to meet them next week. Um, but anyway, it appears that it's just a virus is doing their job and, and basically uh, giving us some genes. Some genes are superpowers and some are, are not beneficial. So when we uh, fix these genes into uh, these viruses, we then have to, wh why is a gene therapy so expensive? So let's, let's split therapies into two groups. One is an immunization. Um, and in an immunization, you're trying to give the least amount of genetic information as possible, but create a huge immune response. You want your body to know that that immunization hit you within minutes of being given it. So we put adjuvants in there and we say, have a huge response and have a huge response mm. to this piece of genetic information. With a gene therapy, instead of giving you a little amount in an immunization, we're trying to give you a huge amount of gene therapy because these don't uh, replicate. We You only are going to get benefits from what we put in at one time, but we don't want your immune system to have any response. Mm -hmm. So these are very, very carefully made. There, there can't be any of the viral DNA in there that might create an immune response. Your body has to think that it's business as usual. And we literally put in quadrillions of perfect little viral vectors with your perfect little gene set. So um, in that case, it delivers them to your cell. And so you asked about Clotho. So Clotho uh, became of interest to us when we saw that it had increased lifespan by over 20% in animal models. It is a geroprotector. We know that in kidney disease and in cardiovascular disease, one of the things that we see is as the disease goes up, Clotho goes down. So we want to upregulate Clotho and create this geroprotective balance for the kidneys and the cardiovascular. Well, then there were interesting studies that came out in mice. They showed if you gave mice alpha Clotho, their cognitive response to their environment went up at least 20% within minutes. And it stayed up uh, as long as the gene, the gene product was transcribing. And so then there was another study that came out that showed people who upon, so in dementia, uh, there's something called Alzheimer's. You're probably aware of it. It really can't be diagnosed until after you die. You can have suspected Alzheimer's, but it's usually diagnosed upon autopsy. Mm. But they found that upon autopsy, people who clearly had every sign of Alzheimer's but didn't have the cognitive decline were alpha-clotho upregulators. Oh, wow. And then more recently, there was a non-human primate study done that showed that it increased their cognitive ability as well. So this one little protein um, is doing a massive amount of things, helping our brains transcribe information, helping our memories form more coherently and protecting uh, vital organs in, in our body. And that's just one gene. Wow. And um, again, it's responsible for a lifespan increase of over 20% in mice. And so, you know, these are genes that have had um, multiple meta-analysis, uh, different labs who are not associated with each other doing all of these different research projects that I told you about. These are all coming from different places. 
And we feel that this gene uh, needed to be in humans a long time ago. So in 2020, I took the the gene therapy to to vet whether or not I thought it was safe, at least in my body, and N equals one, and we decided to move forward with it. Wow. Okay. And and your intelligence on oh, went up ten points. Went up ten yeah, points. Yeah, went up 10 points. And for, you know, I'm not the smartest person in the room. So for me, that was super beneficial. Um, it helped <laughs> finish my MBA and, and start a, a regulation company whilst running BioViva. And, and I don't think I could have done it without it. But for some people, you know, that could literally, if they're super intelligent, pitch them over into, you know, absolute um, uber intelligence. But for <laughs> other people um, who are having dementia or are born with lower IQs, it could actually help them go back, get pushed up into a normal uh, place. And and think about how many kids struggle in school, um, who it might help, um, you know, put them on a a better playing field. You know, it used to be, you know, you were born with your genes and like you, super athlete, you know, you you are lucky to have run as far as you have run. Some people are in the Olympics for sports. They're super flexible. They're super strong. And before it was just literally, you know, everyone says, well, what isn't that, you know, gene doping? Is that fair to be able to do a gene therapy? Well, is it fair that only so many people are born highly intelligent, highly skilled at music, are able to go to the Olympics? Shouldn't anyone who wants to put in the hard work be able to do that? So Exactly. I had no genetic advantage. I had to work the hard way. You did it, girl. You did it. You know, you did it. And, and maybe that's your tenacity. You have a gene or a set of genes that make you special. I love you. I mean, I rarely meet people who would try so hard. Um, most people won't. They just throw up their hands. It's, you know, it, it's it's work. It, it would be too hard to help someone else. You know, that that there's there has to be something special about that. Yeah, it's definitely a, um, the gene. Um, a couple of my genetic teachers have said, you've got a really good combination of some really effed up genes <laughs> as far as mindset goes, <laughs> which isn't always on the positive side because it means that you're always chasing dopamine and you have a lot of traumatic, uh, you, you hold traumatic uh, memories stronger than most and so on. So, you know, it's not all got hey, positives. You but- know what? What does happiness do? Like humans were not born to be happy. We wouldn't have the houses we lived in. We wouldn't have buildings and hospitals. We are we are we are built for discontent, and that's a very beautiful thing because the very few percentage of the population will actually reach out and try to change that, and and that's where it comes down to pioneering. We are here because we are discontent. We want better. We demand better, and we're not going to stop until we get it. And and that that's actually a really beautiful thing. It, it does have some positives. It has some goods, and absolutely. Um, let's just talk about one of the others, and then I'll, I'll let you go because I don't want to. You know, I, I want to have you back on. I want to go deeper into the <laughs> science, and, we, and we'll, we'll we'll be connecting on a number of levels, I think. Um, but uh, PGC one alpha is another very interesting one. Mitochondria are the basis of all or, or many many diseases when they start to go awry. When your mitochondria stop producing their energy like they should and stop being nice and big and fat and healthy. Um, PGC1-alpha, um, I know this from doing cold therapies and, you know, um, heat shock proteins and cold cold stuff to try to get more mitochondrial biogenesis going on. Is that what PGC, 
PGC1 alpha as a gene therapy is aimed at getting more healthy in mitochondria? Yeah, it is. So uh, mitochondrial dysfunction is a hallmark of aging. And so the, the one of the big target genes for that is PGC1 alpha. Um, it probably could also um, help with things like gross obesity and uh, different things. But just getting energy to your cells so that they can repair damage is a big, big deal in um, aging. Uh, when our mitochondrial become dysfunctional, uh, when there's less of them, when they when they don't work as well, uh, we are not able to repair. And so this was a gene that was first seen in people who exercise. Uh, people who exercise can upregulate this gene, but I'm 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 sad to say that with aging we have diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. You can't regulate it enough yourself, but you know it's why you lose weight. Um, we think that it is the the game changer in white to brown fat. Probably mm -hmm. brown fat is brown because it has a lot of mitochondria in it. Isn't that interesting? And that that's fat that you can use more readily. Yep. Um, and so it also is probably a key player in uh, dementias as well as, you know, helping with mitochondrial dysfunction in the brain. So this is a, a another uh, gene that we work with, which is a natural human gene uh, that we're just basically giving you more of for specific indications. And then we've got uh, just briefly folistatin, um, which is going to help with muscle uh, synthesis. So inhibit myostatin, uh, which can, you know, stop us being muscular enough uh, as we get older and we start to get sarcopenic and osteoporosis and things like that. And it also has other effects too, doesn't it, the folistatin? It's not just more muscle and less fat. Well, you know, your muscle is like, you know, directly um, – tied into your metabolism. So we're talking uh, lower HbA1cs, mm -hmm. uh, which means lower blood glucose across mm -hmm. the board, which is a driver of massive amount of damage in your body uh, when it's too high. Uh, we're talking, you know, it's it actually seems to uh, speak to stem cell niches and get stem cells more active in the body. Uh, fuller, thicker hair, I think, is something that we saw in all the mouse studies. And, and I have definitely <laughs> seen myself. Somebody just sent me a video recently of uh, myself when I was like 18. And I'm like, I have more hair now than I did before. Wow. But I don't know if you can, you probably can't see my muscles, but my <laughs> muscles, man-sized muscles under here. And Yay. and. That's full of statin. And, wow. and so you know, that's, that's protecting you uh, from, you know, interstitial fat and, and all of those type of things that, that kill us. So um, it's, it's a beneficial gene therapy on its own. It extends the lifespan of mice by about 30%. And, you know, please take note at no point am I saying that any of these cure aging, they all have this lifespan extension in mice, but the mice still die. They live healthier longer. They look better um, pretty much till the end. Uh, but our goal is to cure aging. And so that's why we work on combinatorial therapies. Yeah. And this is this is the bigger picture. So at the moment, you haven't cured aging, to be clear, but you have slowed it down. And these, these therapies mm -hmm. are showing that. Yeah. And if you look at the hallmarks of aging, we have started to reverse hallmarks of aging. So in order to cure all of aging, you're going to have to reverse all of them. All of them. 
Yeah. So yeah. then you cured aging, but you know, when you have some short fuses out there, but telomerase reverse transcriptase, the one that lengthens the caps at the ends of the chromosomes, I mean, that's the greatest lifespan gain with gene therapy. And then there's epigenetic reprogramming, which we can do, and it makes the cell look wow. really young. It actually gets you less lifespan than fullestatin. Oh, wow. Yeah. Even though the mice look great, they, you know, they don't live as long as just increasing their muscle mass. So we need to put these therapies together. Yeah. And that's incredible. I'm just so excited. And if people are now, so if there are people listening out there that want to help us in the fight on the regulatory side or want to present this and start help, you know, helping to mobilize people to actually make this happen, where are they best to reach out to? And um, for those listening that are interested in actually doing the medical tourism side, which is available at the moment and being a part of these, this clinical research, if you like, and also helping yourself um, and trying these things. Um, and, you know, with all the caveats that this is, you know, you have to go in with your eyes open. You have to have, you know, consent. You need to understand what you're going in for. Um, if anyone is interested, how do they initiate this this process? Right. Yeah. The, you know, what if you go out there and you look at gene therapy companies, you know, be careful. Um, this is, you know, proceed at your own risk. Um, any terrible outcome could, could happen, even death. We work with integrative health systems. They've never seen an adverse uh, drug event. And so they work in very safe doses and they work with protocols that are streamlined to help companies eventually get to clinical trials. And so that's integrative-health-systems.com. And then if you're interested in helping me uh, push regulations, if you know someone, reach out uh, directly to me at bioviva-science.com. Um, but if you just only have the time to do a, one minimal uh, thing, then please go to Best Choice Medicine, no hyphens, bestchoicemedicine.com and sign the petition that demands access for patients now. That helps us uh, bring work up with governments. If we can get enough signatures in your location, then we can apply and we can say, we have a team that can help you do this and your population is demanding access now. Wow. And literally, I believe that you will not only save millions of lives, but billions of lives with these pre-regulatory paths. Yeah. And this is why you are tirelessly fighting towards these massive goals and you need an army of people on your side to help you. So, Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we, we don't want to make any enemies. If you have questions, if you're concerned about gene therapy, um, if you're, you know, worried about something, you know, reach out. We we have answers to those questions. The the somatic cell gene therapies, for instance, are not contagious. They don't pass on to offspring. We're not modifying embryos. This That's is for important. personal health reasons. Yeah, and so it doesn't change you genetically as far as your germline is concerned. So if you have children, you're not going to be passing on any of the genetic changes that you've had done to yourself any of the upregulation of yeah. Very, very important point, I think. Um, Liz, thank you so much for your time today. Um, oh, this won't be the last Having conversation. Me. You're amazing. <laughs> this is absolutely gold. I've been uh, talking talk the ear off my family the whole week about you. So the <laughs> I think oh, and I told everyone about you too. And I even contacted Bill Andrews and oh. said, told him how I was uh, going to do uh, this interview with you. And he was so excited. He's he just said that you're brilliant. Oh, we're going to be. I've got to reconnect with my friends. It's been too long, so I'll, I'll be reaching out to them. 
Thank you, Liz, for your time today. That is a good point. That is a good point to end this on. As you know, as people have said before, um, you know, we are your friends, even if you don't know us. Um, There are people who are working tirelessly for your future to help you live a long life, and you don't even know them, and um, they're amazing. You know, this is their entire life is to make your life better. Yep. And Bill was one of those and George Church and many, many, yep. many others in this space, wonderful people like Liz Parrish. So everybody go and look at everything Liz has done. There's lots of lectures out in the world on YouTube and places and go to Bioviva, uh, uh, dot, dot com, And we'll put all those links that you said down in the show notes. Reach out to me as well if you've got questions that you want to know more because we'll be getting Liz back on and having more questions. But thank you for your time today, Liz. Yeah, bioviva-science.com. I think there's a card game that's bioviva.com. So if you can't find it, just say bioviva gene therapy. Okay, there you go. (laughs) That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review, and share with your friends. Head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatamati.com.